0: They have a good time. I don't know if they have food. They might have candy. That's different than food. All right. Well, they're still. We got. A, do we have a straggler? No. I think we're good. All right. You know, I was listening to that song. I feel like I've heard that song before, but oh, okay, okay. Um, but what a song. What what words? And I thought about that in relationship that. We can call upon God when we need to, when there's sin between us and God, that we can call upon Him, we can pray, and He hears us. And I thought about that in relationship to the gods of this world. And most of the people that worship those gods, if not all of them, are trying to appease a God. We can't do that. But He is pleased with us because of the Lord Jesus. He's as pleased with us as, as anybody ever could be because he looks at Christ, because we can pray, and when we do, he looks at Christ because we have come to him through Christ. What an amazing God that we serve, that he, that he is all the things that he asks us to be. Um, that is pretty amazing. So it seems like there is a theme um, tonight, a little bit, and that is a prayer. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel, and we're going to look at that, that topic it's uneven, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. Oh man, I just—it's a little thing with me, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's gonna bother me. You're not supposed to, but I can't help it when it's when it's off to one side. Uh, there's some pulpits that are 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 different. You know, there's some pulpits you just gotta deal with, and I like this one, but some of them, uh, some of them, some people put rugs behind their pulpit. And I like to move, and I trip on those things. I do. I've never fallen, but I, I you know, you, you kind of catch your foot on it. Those kind of things. Um, but sometimes you have one of these gooseneck microphones that is up in your face, and uh, and it's over. Sometimes it's over my notes, and I feel like I've got to kind of look around it to look at my Bible or my notes. Uh, and so this one being a little off, it's still not right, <laughs> and I'm gonna try to ignore it. No, it's not going to be fixable. Are you going to take it off? Oh yeah! Oh, freedom! <laughs> I like that's a big difference. That's amazing. All right, that is so off topic. But look, I'm glad that we can have fun. I'm glad that we can enjoy it. And and I was saying, I think last week in the services that we were in, I want to come and I want to have a good time around God's word. And it's it's not it's not all. Uh, Sadness. We we don't serve a God that wants us to be sad. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. God wants us to have joy. So we're going to have joy in the Word of God tonight. First Samuel chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth. An Ephrathite. Aren't you glad that that's not your name or any one of those names aren't your names? (laughs) I can say that pretty clearly. I'd be pretty surprised if somebody had one of those names. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the other Penina. And Penina had had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy or double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb." And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thine heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now, Hannah... She spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief... Have I spoken hitherto? Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage tonight, we need you to understand it. You said that your book is spiritually understood. So we're going to ask that you, your spirit would have free course among us, that if there's something in our lives that needs to be rooted out, that we would allow you to do that, that you would allow us to be cleaned by the Word. And as you said, that was as true as well. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. I pray that as we look at prayer, that you would stir our hearts in this matter, that you would work in us the work that you want to do, and you know the hearts of every person here tonight. I pray that you would speak to their need, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Prayer again is a privilege, isn't it? We talked about that just a little bit ago. That we can actually talk to the Creator God. That's amazing. That. He is greater than all things. Before there was space, time, and matter, He was there. And yet we can speak to Him. And that even though there may be, I don't know, 7.3 to 5 billion people on this planet, if every one of us wanted to talk to God at the same time, He wouldn't have a problem with that. He could understand each one of us distinctly. Because if He could, if He would have a problem with that, He wouldn't be much of a God, would He? He'd be very limited. But yet we can speak to Him. And He asks us to come to him in fact jesus said this in luke 18:1, and he spake a parable to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint in jeremiah 33 3 he said it this way call unto me and i will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not he says look i want to show you great things but you need to call me in james we're told uh, you have not because you ask not he's saying i want you to ask In uh, Philippians 4.6, be careful or don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying, let those requests be made known to me. No guarantee that you're going to get what you want, and sometimes the things that you want aren't what is best for you, but I still want you to make those requests. What an amazing thing that is. And Then we also find out that Jesus Christ, in Mark 1.35, that rising up a great while before day, went out into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus prayed. He spoke to the Father in the garden of Gethsemane. And he, he, before the, the crucifixion, He went out there and He prayed. And He asked the disciples, couldn't you not watch with me one hour? Could, not, could you not be alert with me and, and call upon God and pray to Him? Could you not do that? E.M. Bounds has wrote extensively on prayer and he says that prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. That power comes through prayer. And the prayer of our life corresponds to the power of our life. If we pray little, we'll have little power. But if we pray much, we'll have much power. Well, I need to pray more. We all need to pray more. We're told to pray without ceasing. Now, God is a practical God. He's not impractical. That doesn't mean that 24 hours a day that we're praying. But uh, last week I had a cough. And uh, I'm glad that I don't have it this week because I was trying to preach last week with the cough. And many times I, I would either have a cough drop in my mouth or I'd have to calm down uh, because that cough wanted to come out. And that's a lot like the prayer without ceasing is that it's always there. That where, when we're driving, we're we're thinking oh, I need to bring this before the Lord, and so we do. And we see someone, oh yeah, I need to pray for them. And there's always that on the tip of our tongue, that prayer to God. We ought to practice that. That takes some discipline, but there's things that we can do. We can ask the Lord to help us with that. Effective Christian living needs prayer. Effective witnessing needs prayer. Effective preaching needs prayer. I have found that in my life that prayer is is twofold it is it is both an exercise and a rest there are sometimes when it takes discipline to stay pray- in in that prayer mode to stay on your knees before god to stay sitting in that chair praying because your mind your mind runs you, know, you you sit down you read your bible and you start to pray and and then you start thinking about all the things that need to be done today you start thinking about those, oh, I, I need to write that down. And, and often I will because I think, you know what, I'm just going to write it down and forget about it until I need to pick it up later. But we need to stay disciplined in that prayer and take that exercise. But there are other times when the mind is spinning in circles. And maybe there's stresses of life. And just kneeling and praying before God is a rest for us that we can bring those things before Him and say, Lord, I can't handle this. And I don't understand this. I don't know how this is going to finish. But Lord, I can give that to You. And it can be a tremendous rest. It's also a responsibility the same time that it's a privilege. I mean, God doesn't have to let us do that. We don't have to go through a priest or a high priest we have a high priest and his name is Jesus Christ. I've been doing some study on that in, in Hebrews that he has passed into the heavens. The, the high priests on earth, they would pass through a, uh, the, into the Holy of Holies and they would pass through that veil. But Jesus Christ has passed beyond that veil into the real. He said in Hebrews, this is a, a shadow of the reality in heaven and jesus christ has passed into the heavens and he is an eternal high priest he's a perfect high priest and because of that he says let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace and some of the terminology there is to have a loose tongue before god that is what god is saying i made the way possible so that you no matter where you are can speak to god that's amazing and here Hannah has a great burden. It's not a need. It's not. She'd lived life without a child. But she had a burden, and she brings this before God, and we know that God answered the prayer because we have the first and second book of Samuel that we're reading out of, that God gave this son to her, and she prayed And there's some things that we can draw out of this so that we can have some effective prayer. It doesn't mean that every time we pray in this manner that we're always going to get what we want. God is not a genie. We don't believe, and the Bible doesn't teach, in a name it and claim it. If you're a name it and claim it, you're saying, God is my servant, and I am the master, that I'm going to tell God what He's going to give me. And He will. No, that's not always true. Sometimes we pray... And we don't get what we want, but God gives us what we need. We see sometimes in Scripture where someone prayed for something and God gave it to them and it wasn't what was best for them. In fact, the Israelites were told in Psalm that God gave them their request, but He sent leanness to their soul because what they wanted was a thing. I think the book of Esther is a great picture of prayer. As she goes to the king, and he lowers that scepter to her and allows her to come into his presence. And remember he said, he said, ask what you want. I will give it to you even to the half of the kingdom. Somebody showed me one time. What he's saying is, look, anything I'll give you as long as I'm still king. Because if I give you more than half the kingdom, you rule. And God is that way with us. As long as He is still on the throne of our lives, sometimes the door of request is wide open. But sometimes what we're asking for is something that would become the ruler of our life. And God is saying, you don't need to have that. You don't need to have that because I want to rule in your life. Because I know what's best for you. But let's look at some things here. Let's First, we find in verses 10 and 15. Verse number 10, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And then also in verse 15, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She prayed impassionately. She was not thinking of anybody that was around her, how she would look in front of anybody. She didn't care. She was so impassionate about what she was praying for that he even thought that she was drunk because she's mouthing words and not saying anything. And and she was in full concentration with the Lord. And that's okay. And that's good. And we ought to pray that way. I heard a preacher say one time that half-hearted prayer is no prayer at all. We should not be flippant and careless with our prayer. We can all kind of fall into that. Sometimes when we pray for a meal, we're just kind of getting through those those words, so that we can get to maybe what we want. But we need to concentrate in those moments and say, look, we're not just saying words. We're not repeating vain repetition before God. We want to bring our hearts before the Lord. Several years ago, I think we only had two children and and Reagan was on the way. We lived in Indiana and my wife was out shopping and she took the oldest, Adriana, with her. So I'm at the house and I fed Faith. Faith was... I think she was two years old, and uh, and so I gave her a Popsicle, and I didn't want her to eat the Popsicle inside, because you know how two-year-olds with Popsicles are. They might put it down on something, it might drool, and i will be all over the floor. So we let her outside, and it was a backyard, and so I sat down and watched some sports center, and uh, I, I remember I heard a crash out in the backyard, and I thought, what was that? And I didn't hear anything immediately, so I thought, well, there you go, better check on her. So I went out there, and and I knelt down beside her, and... And I said, are you okay? And about the time she was to answer, she wasn't even crying. About the time she was to answer, I noticed blood coming down her neck from her head. And uh, my wife told me to not be so graphic when I tell this. Um, So I'm trying to not be so graphic, but I don't know how not to be, okay? I, I looked up and I found the place where the blood was coming out. And I don't know how not to say what I want to say. But it was, I mean, I could almost tell her heart rate, you know, because it was coming out like, and I was like, oh, this is not good. And uh, now I'm a person that I kind of evaluate, you know, triage right away. You know, is this life threatening kind of thing? I was a youth pastor. And so if there was an injury that happened, I would, I would evaluate it. Is this death or is this just hurt? You know, and never had a death, right? But, you know, you can lose appendages and still live so evaluate it and if they need to go to the hospital okay but we move on and we had some some pretty interesting injuries you can ask me later but this was different okay it's a hole in a child's head i don't know anything about a hole in a child's head except that it's not good and i couldn't tell how big it was because there was that there was that much blood Um, I mean the whole back of her head by the time I saw what it was her shirt was already the top part of her shirt was already soaked I mean it was it was a lot and uh, and I couldn't tell if there was something in there I I didn't know I didn't know and then I looked at her she started crying and so I that that was because I took the popsicle away so I I gave her the popsicle back and that helped and then I I, you know I'm like what do I do so I took her and I put her in the bathtub because I thought I can clean that up if I need to and And at this point I'm thinking, I should probably take her to the doctor, but do I call my wife or do I don't call my wife? (laughs) You know, it's that if it's okay and I don't call her, no problem. If it's not okay and I don't call her, that's a bigger problem on your hands. And so I called her and she said, is it bad? Do I have to come back? Because I want to keep shopping. And so at that point I kind of felt justified, you know. She still (laughs) wants to shop. And I said, if it's bad, I'll call you. And I thought, I, I'm thinking now, I guess. Uh, I must have remained calm enough for her to think it was okay. So then I called some nurses in my church because I'm cheap. And I said, I said hey, uh, can you meet me at, at the hospital? Because I don't want to take this in if it's not worth taking in. And I'm trusting your judgment. And so I got her in the, in the truck, and I, and I was driving to the hospital, and I was driving fast, And, you know, people pulling out in front of me and I'm like, what are you doing? I've got an emergency here. Do you think I prayed during that time? And and when I did pray, do you think it was flippant or do you think it was fervent? It was fervent. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God says, I want you to pray fervently. And I'm not saying that everything has to be an emergency, but God says pray fervently. Pray intensely. Pray impassionately. And sure, there are some things that you are going naturally, you're going to naturally be more fervent about them than others. But don't forget to be serious about your prayer. Pray impassionately. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Wow. That's what God says to us. We look back at verse 15. What does it say? It says sorrowful spirit a sorrowful spirit I have poured out my soul before the Lord what a picture if, if I had if well I have a, a glass here it's empty but if I were to have water in it and pour it out there's some picture with that right once it's out it's not coming back in you know it's all over the carpet it's exposed too. You, can, you would see it all over the floor. You would see that's all it is. And almost she's saying, Look, I have exposed my soul to the Lord. I have shown him everything on the inside. Have you been there in prayer? That's a good place to be. He can see it anyway. He knows what's there, but he wants us to tell him. Think about all the times that man has sinned and God asked questions in the garden. Adam, where are you? As if God didn't know, right? And Adam probably is thinking, doesn't he know that? I don't know what he was thinking. When Cain offered the improper sacrifice, he says, why is your spirit cast down? Did he know? Well, he knew. Then when he killed his brother, where's your brother? God is always asking those questions. Always stirring the mind because He wants us to come to Him about what's inside. And if we're not careful, God can come to us. But He wants us to come to Him first. Pray impassionately. And then verse 5 and 6. But Hannah unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Notice twice. That God says the exact same thing. Now anytime in scripture you see that it appears that God says something twice, stop and investigate it. If it's slightly different, there's something that he's saying by the slightly different and we need to figure that out. Um, This is exactly the same thing. God is doubling down. And it doesn't say she was barren. It says that the Lord had shut up her womb. That's Pretty extreme, would you not agree? That God said no. And sometimes that's the case. This was an impossible situation. Impossible. Because God had done that. Don't don't feel like you shouldn't pray the impossible. She prayed the impossible, and God answered it. Would you not say that it was impossible to open the Red Sea? Yeah, I'd say that was impossible. Would you say that it was impossible to get water out of a rock? I'd pretty much say that was impossible. Would you say that it was impossible for Peter to be freed from jail in the way that he was freed from jail? Yeah, because even then when they prayed about it and God answered the prayer, they couldn't believe it. They they wouldn't hardly let him in the door. Those things are impossible. God delights in doing the impossible. Because when God does the impossible, there is no possible explanation except that it was God. God gets glory when He does the impossible. But I think many times we're afraid to pray the impossible because we think, oh, it's impossible. Now, don't be afraid to. If God says no, okay. Okay, we need to be content with that. But if not, pray the impossible. Many of the impossible things that we think about are, can, can God save this person? Can God change that person's heart? Can God rescue them from the direction that they're headed? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can look at that person and we can say, yeah, but everything in their life is turned against God. There's some men that I pray for and, and both of them need to be saved. One, he should be in prison. He, he really should be. Knowing the things that he has done, he should be in prison. And because of some of the things that he's done, he says, well, God can't save me. Well, that's just a faith issue on his part. If God can't save a person, God's not God. God can do the impossible. The other person, he lived most of his life, retired from being an EMT. He was always rescuing people and doing good things. And he is a good guy. I'll give him that. But that doesn't deal with his sin. But he says, I've been a good person. I don't need to be saved. I'm going to be fine. You know, both of those men, I think they both might be in their 70s at this point. And I think, wow, that's hard. Because they've lived an entire life of saying, I don't need God in my life. Or God can't. And it's hard to pray for those guys. But I believe that my God is bigger than those men. And God can do that impossible. There's people I know that have turned their lives away from God and they're living in sin right now. And I think, will they turn around? I don't know. But I know that God can turn them around. And so I'm going to pray for them pray the impossible. So I read a book, a story about a man who is in ministry. And when he was studying for the ministry, he was studying in California. And he found out that his mom had died. I don't know if he didn't have a great relationship with his mom, but he found that his mom died in Michigan. And so uh, it was really troubling him because he didn't know whether or not she knew the Lord as her Savior. And he said, it kept bothering me and it it was interfering with my studies, and so he said, I decided to take a day where I would go out onto, uh, onto the ocean, and, and he said, I found a pier, and I walked out there. It looked isolated. It looked like nobody was out there, but he said, when I got out to the end of it, there was a lady sitting there fishing. He said, all I wanted was to spend time with the Lord and just pour out my soul before the Lord, and he said, uh, as, as I was out there, the lady struck up a conversation, and she asked me where I was from, and he said, I said I was from Michigan, and she said, well, so am I, and he said... She asked where I was from. And he said, I told her. And we started finding out that, hey, guess what? We're related. And he said, Well, did you know my mom? And she said, Actually, yeah. She and I are cousins. And he said, Well, she just passed. And I'm just, you know, I'm troubled about her spiritual life. Do you know anything about that? She said, Well, actually, your mom and I went to a revival meeting when we were teenagers. And both of us went forward on that night and got saved. You know, you hear a story like that, only God can do that. Only God can answer a prayer in that way to organize and put people in the same place at the same time. How is that possible? I can't tell you other than I serve a God that does the impossible. And when God answers those kind of prayers, it changes our lives. When I was probably 10, I lived, I grew up in uh, Ottawa, Kansas, a little town, little country town. And we had a youth pastor that was single and, and my parents would, would invite him over and we'd play games and, and he'd eat, eat our food. And uh, and I remember one time he asked me to go shoot baskets with him at the church. I don't know anything surrounding why he did or anything like that, but I really enjoyed that. And so one day I was asking my parents if they would call him and see if he would do that, and they weren't going to ask him to do that. And they said we're not going to call him. If you want that, you could ask him. And I I hated talking on the phone, so I wasn't going to call him. And so I went out in the front yard and. And I thought, well, I'll pray about it. And so I started praying. I'm 10. I didn't know what I was doing. I really didn't. And I remember sitting on a porch swing and just thinking, how am I supposed to pray? You know, I know I'm talking to God and I know I'm, I'm supposed to have faith. I need to believe. And so I literally, I was like, Ooh. you know, have more faith. And I'm like, how do you do that? And I thought, well, it's believing what God said. So I, we had a longer driveway, so I'd run down to the end of the driveway and I'd look down the road and, uh, you know, there was nothing. And so I sat there and I didn't know what to do. And, uh, but that's, was, I was obsessed with that in my mind. I just wanted to go to the, the church and play basketball. Now the church was on the other end of town and he was going to have to come probably three miles out of his way to, to pick me up on an evening and take me to the church and, and do all that. And, uh, next thing I know, we lived on a gravel road. There's dust coming up the gravel road. And, and there was this car that looked a lot like his and it, Pulled up into our driveway, and and there it was, and it was him. And I ran to the vehicle, and this will tell you how long ago it was. He leaned way over on the seat and rolled down the window, okay? (laughs) I don't even know if they make cars that do that anymore. Rolled down the window, and and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I just wanted to know if you wanted to go to the church and play basketball. And uh, I don't know if I answered him. (laughs) I just ran inside, and I asked my parents. I said, did you call him? And they said, no, we didn't call him. And I I, was—I couldn't hardly believe that. And I look back at that, and I think, God cared enough to show me that He answers prayer. That prayer did not matter other than that. It really didn't. It—it didn't benefit me anything except for that—that God cares about the prayers of a ten-year-old. That really, it was a selfish prayer, but God answered it. So simple. But yet, God wants to do that. Do not tire of prayer. Pray the impossible. Through prayer, the Egyptians were conquered. Through through prayer, Jericho was conquered. Through prayer, Hezekiah extended his life. Through prayer, Daniel stilled the mouth of lions. And through prayer, you can see that person's life changed. Through prayer, you can see the impossible. Don't fear to pray the impossible. And then verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Verse 13, And now Hannah spake in her mouth, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought (coughs) she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And again, she says, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I haven't been drinking. Now, hold your finger here. And if you would, go to Luke. the The book of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We'll start reading in verse number five. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now verse six, for a friend of mine in his journey is come unto me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Importunity. Pray with importunity. Importunity is an interesting word. We don't use that word. Probably at all. But it means with persistence, with urgency, being pressing, if you will. So when it's your child or grandchild's birthday coming up and they want that one thing, what are they telling you about? That one thing. And and every kid is different. Um, with one of mine, it was rollerblades. Oh, she wanted rollerblades. And it was constant. It was constant. I mean, I think our birthday was like five months away, and it was all the time. At that point, it's like, okay, would would you just chill? I don't know if you realize how long five months is, but we get the picture that you want some rollerblades. And there's always something, right? It's, It's that pressing urgency. I want this, I want this. And maybe it's not that they want something, but they want your attention. And they're saying, mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. And they're all about that. That is importunity. And so the story is given, you know, back in those days, you didn't have hotels. You didn't have, you would show up. You didn't, you couldn't tell people ahead of time, hey, I'm coming. You couldn't give them a text message. You just show up at the doorstep and say, hey, I need a place to stay. Well, it it wasn't a negative. It was okay. Yeah, sure. Come in. We're going to take care of you. But you would feed them. And he says, look, we don't have refrigerators. We don't, there's no dollar store a mile down the road for us to go to, to, to get some, Bread and milk, okay? We, I need some bread, so I'm going to go to my neighbor and see if he has any left over. And so he goes to his neighbor and he says, look, I've got to. It's it's rude for me if I don't have anything. I have to have something. Can, can you give me a loaf of bread or something? And he's like, look, man, you already pulled me out of bed, and if I start rummaging around in my house, it's going to wake up my kids, and I don't want to deal with that. Just come see me in the morning or go somewhere else. I don't want to do this. He says, look, I'm not leaving your house until... You, I know you have bread in there. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I, you you got to go get it and bring it to me. And he says, not because he's his friend. Now, And he's probably not his friend anymore, right? But not because he's his friend, because he cares about him, but because he won't leave him alone. And God says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be... That's the very next verse. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Now, when God tells you no, stop. Stop. Don't... Don't try to force God's hand. I think it was Rachel who prayed for another child and in childbearing, she died. So some of the things that God might give us might be to our undoing. So we need to be sensitive about that. But with our importunity, pray consistently. Pray continually. Don't don't get to the point where you say, well, it's just not going to happen, and so I'm just going to quit. Sometimes I think God is testing our faithfulness. How faithful are you going to be about this? How much do you care? And sometimes it's just the timing. So often we can look back on our life and think, wow, I wasn't ready for something. And God knew that I wasn't ready. But I didn't know that. And just that that wisdom to say, Lord, You know what is best in my life and I'm just going to have to trust You with this. But Lord, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to be faithful in that prayer pray with importunity then i want you to notice back in first samuel verse 11 and she vowed a vow and said "O lord of hosts if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction notice that word if she did not demand of the lord she requested and she did not say you're gonna do this but she said lord if It's an if, Lord. That means you have the call on this. You are making the decision. And if you do, if you will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to you. Three times she called herself a servant, a handmaid. She said, Lord, I'm your handmaid. This is praying impressionably. If, Lord, if. I'll be impressed by your will, not mine. I will allow you to change me. When I was a child, I, one of the only things I remember from kindergarten—actually, uh, it was probably before that—it was probably five-year-old Sunday school class was Mrs. Anderson. She, she and her husband were dairy farmers, and and uh, I loved Mrs. Anderson. I, she was just special. Her 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 grandson was my same age, and and uh, we went to church together. But I remember her classes because I remember the Play-Doh. That's all I remember from that, was Mrs. Anderson in and the Play-Doh. And you now today, you can buy Play-Doh, but there's all these accessories, right? There's like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of accessories. And, and, and that'll probably just fit in one bag. There's just, it's, it's incredible. how You can put it in this machine and crank this. And that's cool. I would have loved it when I was a kid, but back back in our day, right, it was just like you, you plop it out of the can and use your fingers. You know, that's all you can do. But whatever you shape you put it in, it, it would go into that shape. If you wanted to make a, a snake out of it, you could. If you wanted to make a ball out of it, you could. If you wanted to, I don't know, whatever you wanted to do with it, you could make with it. And I remember one time we, we, we made a shape out of it. I made this blue look like the cookie monster. And, I, and I put it, we put it on a, a pan and you can put it in the oven at a certain temperature for a certain time and it'll harden. And, uh, and you've got that statue. But that's what Play-Doh does. It's moldable. In our prayer life, we need to be moldable. Lord, if this is not what you want, I'm going to be okay with that. Some of the hardest prayers I've ever had to pray, Lord, I want this. But if it's not what you want, change my heart. Change my desire. But those are some of the best prayers I've prayed. Because God had to show me. God had to show me this isn't what's best for you. And I'm thankful because God does know what's best. That prayer changed my life when I was 10. But there was there was another time. I was just talking to somebody about uh, I was Jim. We were talking about camp in Colorado. I got saved at a camp in Colorado. I was sitting at that camp and I was probably, I was probably about where Jim, where Jim's sitting? On on the the left side of the auditorium, but I was a little bit further back, and I remember sitting there. And the preacher was preaching about salvation. And and I came up with every reason why I thought I should be saved. I mean, I'm at camp, right? I'm at a Christian camp as a teenager. I must be saved. That's not what the Bible says. I I thought, well, look, I've done children's programs. We did Awana and I loved Awana. I memorized verses in Awana. Look, I I did those things. I I must be saved. The Bible doesn't say that. If you memorize verses, you're saved. I thought, well, my parents are good people. I've not done bad things. There must have been some time in the past that I was saved. But I couldn't remember a time where I kneeled in my heart before God and said, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Would you save me? Forgive me. I couldn't think of one. And so right there in my seat, I prayed. I said, God, would you save me? And He did. I mean, change. Did I stop doing drugs? No, I'd never done drugs. But desire started to change. Motivation started to change. My thoughts about what I should be doing started to change. Because God saved me through that prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've never had a prayer where you ask God to save you. And I'm asking you, would you do that? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe God has challenged us about our prayer life. But Maybe you sit here today and you say, there's never been a time where I knelt before God and said, God, I'm a sinner. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and rising from the dead, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save me. And maybe you'd say, yeah, that's me. That's what I need tonight. I need to be saved. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to recognize that by you raising your hand and I see it and I say thank you for that. Anybody in the auditorium, you'd say, that's what I need tonight. I need to be saved. Anybody at all? I don't want to. I don't want to miss that opportunity tonight. Maybe that's you, and you say, "Yeah, preacher, that's me." Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Christian, how about you? How's your